Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. My name is Patrick Francie, and I'm the CEO and managing partner of the Real Estate Investment Network. In addition to being a business owner, I'm also a real estate investor. I'm a coach, a husband, recently a grandfather. Now, along with that, I'm also committed to stretching beyond what I've achieved by continuing to elevate in living a fulfilled life by making a positive difference in my world. I'm going to invite you to join me as I delve into the details of the many wins of my guests in achieving their goals, along with, shall we say, the frustrations of the occasional deal gone wrong, because my guests are here to help you learn by talking about what's real for them in business and investing in real estate, from the life they're now able to live to the person they become along the way as they pursued their dreams in having the freedom they've gained by building a sustainable financial future for them and their family. Good day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this episode of the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. As always, and before I introduce my next guest, I like to start by first thanking you for listening in and for your support and the feedback that you provide us on the show, as well as remind and continue to encourage you to send any of your comments, your suggestions, or your questions directly to me at CEO at RainCanada.com, CEO at ReinCanada.com. And if you're inclined, I'd very much appreciate it if you were to share this or my other shows with your friends, rate the show, comment on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud, or whatever platform you happen to use to listen in. And while you're at it, please follow us on the Everyday Millionaire Facebook page. So thanks again for the feedback that you provide the team and I. It is sincerely appreciated. We use it. We look forward to receiving it. So thank you. Now, having said all of that, let's get this show started, shall we? I'm especially excited about my guest today, and I'll tell you why. He's an old friend of mine, and I literally have not caught up with him for way too many years. His name is Dr. Don McDonald, or actually, as he's far more and affectionately known as, is simply Dr. Don. And I wanted to start by just taking a brief moment to share a bit about Don's background. He spent 18 years or more now in the health and wellness industry as a chiropractor with a very thriving clinic in Edmonton, Alberta. Now, born from his passion and his position at the adjustment table over the past several years, Dr. Don had begun to notice a far too common frustration that would develop into major stressors in the lives of far too many of his patients. He identified it as the underdog curse and the challenge with it was that his patients couldn't seem to break out of it. And it was a pattern that he himself had seen in his own life, from the basketball days of his youth to life as a businessman, a business owner, as a health practitioner. And it stopped people from living their best lives, if you will. And it often stripped them of really true happiness. So he made it his mission to find out how to break the underdog curse and move into a truly authentic and lasting, loving kind of life, having the success that you dreamed of. Dr. Don is now a life coach and a motivational speaker who's dedicating his time to empowering people with this kind of new, insightful and inspiring information regarding success, health. And of course, he remains committed to his first love, which is neurology. 
In addition to all of that, he now hosts his new podcast called Breaking the Underdog Curse, which was a follow-up to the release of his book of the same title. He and his wife, Brandy, run a thriving chiropractic clinic and chiropractic seminar series, and they're both very high-demand conference speakers, and they travel the world sharing their insights into health and wellness and the impact of stress, for example, on our bodies. In amongst all of that, they still manage to remain the loving parents to uh, a rescue pit bull named Lux. As I said, I'm looking forward to this conversation. I'm uh, gonna have to try and stay really focused so we don't bounce around because I have a lot of things that I wanna talk to Dr. Don about, get caught up, talk about the impact of stress on our bodies and which comes first, the pain or the stress that causes the pain and all of those things. We're gonna dig deep into that based on what Dr. Don has experienced over many years and the research that he's done and the practice that he has. And without any further delay in getting this conversation started, I want to welcome Dr. Don McDonald. Dr. Don McDonald, welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. Excited to have you on the show. A little bit of background just for listeners is that you and I have been friends over the years. We have lost contact just because I moved primarily to the lower mainland of British Columbia. You remained at Edmonton. And anyways, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I'm excited. It's a long time, no talk. We used to talk almost every week. <laughs> yeah, it should be a great conversation because we got lots of catching up to do and and I get to, you know, get up to speed with what's going on for you uh, in real time. So that's perfect. So Don, as I like to do with the show, give our listeners a quick elevator speech, if you will, of what the heck does Dr. Don McDonald do? And uh, let's go from there and then let's just start. Yeah, I think, I think to sum it up, I, I try to help other people live a purposeful, fulfilling life through increasing vitality. And um, I do that through my chiropractic office as being a chiropractor. And then I also have done that recently as writing a book and as coaching other chiropractors too. So I've kind of, uh, my goal, I think from when I started way back, and we'll talk about this probably later in the podcast, but um, I lost my health, which prevented me to live my purpose. And that created a lot of frustration. So I think for me, I, I kind of like to make sure our body's functioning good so that we can do the things that we'd love to do in life. So you are, in fact, a chiropractic doctor. You yep. have a clinic in Edmonton, Southside Chiropractic in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. That's awesome. Now, you've been a chiropractor for how many years? Uh, it's coming up at 20 years, pretty much. I just went to my uh, reunion in uh, June, my 20-year reunion graduation reunion from Palmer College of Chiropractic in Davenport, Iowa. <laughs> wow, that's so cool. Now, you've been in the business, you know, really you are a, you own the clinic yourself, you, well, you and your wife now. And yeah. so you've been in business, gosh, what, out of those 20 years, how long have you been doing your own thing in terms of having your own clinic and, and being in business? In my, in my own clinic, I was in a partnership before, but my own clinic has been uh, about nine years. About nine years now. Now I've watched your journey and because, you know, we knew each other and, and we know each other, but back in the day when I was spending, you know, really primarily living in Edmonton and we were working on our businesses together and I was building my business of investing in real estate and my retail businesses in Edmonton, you were working on your chiropractic clinic and we're, we're just really enthusiastic and fired up and inspired and trying to grow our businesses 
and we would mastermind almost, you know, probably at least once a week, sometimes more. And but uh, we were getting together a lot, having great discussions on how to build businesses. Then and, and that was a number of years ago, but we've come a long way since then. And so it's great to reconnect with you. Yeah, totally. Now let's go back a little bit. I want to have a, a bit of I always want to get some background because when we look at, you know, people who have had a a degree of success, and I don't even want to say high degree or low degree, but you've been very successful in your own right. You and Brandy travel the world now doing clinics and talks and all sorts of different events. But before we get to that, because I'm really excited about that. Now, this isn't about being a chiropractic doctor. This is about health. This is about health and wellness and creating an amazing life around your business and the balance that I don't even call it balance, but creating a great life, being healthy and having a great business or a great career, but being healthy. And you have some great insights into that. Go back a little bit because you wrote the book, The Underdog Curse. And that story was a, really quite a lot about your story and what you learned and then the research you did afterwards. But so go back. You were a young man growing up in Grand Cache, Alberta. You betcha, up in the mountains. Up in the mountains, <laughs> beautiful Grand Cache, Alberta, small town. What was the population of Grand Cache, Don? 4,200. Well, it depends because uh, this is where I got my first lessons about the economy because we're a coal mine town. So we basically went boom and bust every about three years. So probably at the top end, it was 4,200. And then uh, when everyone left town, it'd be about maybe 2,000 as all the houses were boarded up and then it'd go back up to 4,200. So it kind of fluctuated all over the place. So... How did a young man in Grand Cash, Alberta, you know, set his sights on being a chiropractor or how did how did it evolve for you? You ended up moving to Edmonton. I think that was your next stop out of Grand Cash and that's kind of where you landed, I think. But give me a little bit of background in those days. Yeah, um back in the day, we only had one road coming into Grand Cash. Um so we were basically a, a, an hour and 45 minutes up from Hinton, a dead end in the mountains. And so I grew up pretty um, isolated and kind of, you know, in, in a small town, you have two options. You can be like a, an athlete or a jock, or you probably hang out with the other guys that do maybe things that aren't good for your health, like recreational drugs. Sure. <laughs> and so, so I, I initially started playing hockey and then I got into playing basketball and, um, and I always, it's so funny. My dad uh, ran a business. So we always grew up in a, in a small business and we had a bottle depot where people would come in, you know, bring on all their empty bottles. And once a week we'd load up the trailers and I'd always sit, I would always sit in the trailers knowing the trailer was coming to Edmonton. And I always wanted to get in the trailer because I always wanted to get out of my town. <laughs> so I was always wondering what it would be like to go in this trailer go to the city. So for my grade 12 year, I asked my parents because I was really into basketball and uh, I asked my parents if I could move to Edmonton and live with my aunt and uncle and play basketball in Edmonton. And uh, to my amazement, they said yes. And uh, so that's that's how I got to Edmonton. You know, that's an interesting, you know, call to make when you're, what, 16, 17 years old in grade 12? Yeah. Well, which is funny because it, I think it all, like, it kind of started back, like, I uh, we didn't have the internet. And so when I was trying to improve playing basketball, one of my, one of my coaches when I was in grade 8 said, you know, I see some potential in you as a basketball player. And he, uh, he led me on to these grants they used to have. Uh, to go to a summer basketball camp. And so I went to a basketball camp in Oles. And after one basketball camp, my skills exploded. And I think that was my first taste of if you get mentorship in something, 
you can skip the learning curve and improve. And that was kind of my ticket out of, out of Grand Cash. And I knew that if I surrounded myself with the same players, I was the best player on our team. I wasn't going to grow anymore. And I needed to go somewhere else to kind of to surround myself with some like better players. But once again, that's, you know, that making that decision at 16 years. So, and, and for those listening in, Don, you're what, six, four. Yeah. Yeah. So you're, you're a tall man. Uh, you're till this day, you know, you're very athletic. And so basketball was something that you did. I think you probably even continue to play some, uh, pick up basketball at, at points, I think, as I recall. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I did, I did have an injury a few years ago, so I'm, I'm not, I'm kind of retired from basketball now, but I still keep really active. Great. So, but once again, at 17 years old, you make a decision to move to, you know, leave your parents. That's a big deal. Grand cash is not yep. insurmountable to get there, but it's a, it's a long drive and you made that decision. So there was something really compelling back there. Anything that you linked to back at 17 years old that said, I got to get the heck out of Grand Cache, Alberta. And, and Grand Cache is a beautiful town, but it's small. And I guess the opportunities are limiting. So for you, there was something that you saw that you said, I got to go. You were really compelled to get out of there. I think it was actually probably going to those basketball camps. Because after I went to my first basketball camp, uh, every year after that, I always worked for my dad. So I started working for my dad when I was about like eight years old. And I was he had a restaurant. And I was I was rolling uh, utensils, the condiments, for yes. 50, 50 cents an hour. Nice. That's how I started. Yeah, big bucks, <laughs> big dollars. There you go. You bet. It was big dollars. But um, but so I always saved my money because I was like I wanted to go to basketball camp. So I went to a basketball basketball camp every single summer after that grade eight year. And one of the common threads I saw was all the best players, like most of the best players, all play in the big cities and they have better competition. And I also knew if I had one week where I played with these guys and it made that much difference in my skills. Imagine if I played a whole season. And so I think that was my whole goal is I wanted to play college university basketball. That was my dream. And I knew that if I didn't surround myself with those people, uh, I, I wouldn't have been able to achieve that. Well, I guess it always goes back. If you want to get really great at anything, you know, sports or business is surround yourself with people far better than you because you're forced to elevate. doesn't matter what yeah. you do. 100%, which is funny because later on this will tie into a story because that's very important at the beginning, but it but that's the part that can be challenging later on as well. So where where did the whole idea of becoming a chiropractor come from? What inspired you or what clicked in your brain that said, I want to be a, you know, a chiropractor? Well, th this it ties 100% into basketball because what happened is in, in about grade 9 or 10, I started developing this pain in my knees. and um, it was just achy pain. It was, it would get so bad. So I'd get up in the morning and I'd stretch and, my, and I'd flex my quads and I felt like knives were sticking into my knees. And so I go to our medical doctor at the time and, and he did diagnose me with patella tendonitis. And so he would give me anti-inflammatories and it worked. So I felt better, but the problem was I ran out of drugs. And so I continually had to take drugs all the time. And, and like I said, back in the day, we didn't have the internet. So I had to research in magazines uh, exercise programs and, uh, you know, like muscle fitness and all those different magazines where I look for different workout programs. Cause I was trying to help heal myself with my knees. And, uh, and even when I went to Edmonton, we actually even, I even ran more cause when we're a small town, we only practiced three days a week. And then we went all of a sudden up to five days a week and my knees even got worse. And it wasn't until I was at chiropractor, or, uh, at, at Red Deer college where I was playing college basketball that I actually found out about chiropractic and unfortunately it was near the end of my career my basketball career that I found it 
but I, I had to basically play through the four, four prime years of my career at about 60% all the time. Wow. And so first, first I was furious because I was like, why didn't anyone tell me about this in the first place? And then, and then secondly, I used it more as an inspiration and, and, uh, I said, hey, I think uh, this is pretty amazing. I think I want to be a chiropractor. So you went to school, you became a chiropractor, but tell me something, Don, you know, as, as we, you know, as you're chatting, you're talking about your father owning a restaurant, a bottle depot. So you come from a kind of an entrepreneurial background. Was your mom involved in the businesses as well? Yeah, she, she was, she, she looked after us. She stayed at home and looked after us, but yeah, she would still be you know, basically how a small, a small business goes with a family is everybody pitches in all the time. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> so you come by your entrepreneurialism quite honestly, but when you took up and said, okay, well, I'm going to be a chiropractor, was it just about being a chiropractor or was there a business component to it even as you entered the game called, I want to become a chiropractor? I, I, I'm pretty sure it was a business component because, um, like I really have not had very many jobs in my life um, because I think uh, I think I worked for buyers one summer, but I, every single other year I worked for my dad. So I think part of it, knowing that I'd be my own, I could be my own boss was a huge attraction to that as well. Now, back in those days, you know, as you were starting out on your clinic and we were masterminding, we really were talking about a couple different components. We talked about marketing a lot and how could we do a better job of getting the message out to our, our clients. And interesting, of course, I have, I, at the time I was involved in real estate and retail and still am, but you know, that, that still was a conversation we were having as small business owners, which was about kicking ideas around about growing our businesses and marketing our mm-hmm. businesses. But also along that journey, we talked about who we are being and what I, I guess where I'm going with some of the conversation I want to have with you, Don, is you ultimately wrote the book, The Underdog Curse, and I want to get to that. But back in those days, we were finding our way. And at some level, we realized that in our own personal and professional development, we were discovering a lot about not only who we were, but who we had to become to be successful. Now, is that... Does that articulate kind of your view of the world? Because I'm, I'm just interested to go back that many years ago because it's got to, gosh, it's got to be almost 15 years ago that we started those kinds of conversations at least. What was it yeah. for you back then, do you think? Yeah, I think um, it's funny because when, and, and now it's funny because I, I coach other chiropractors and, and business owners when they're starting. A, a lot of times at the beginning, we're always saying, what do I do? Like, what do I do to grow my business? And then, and then kind of during that time, I think that was when I really started to discover it's like, who do I be? Right. Right. And, and who do I surround ourselves with? And I remember, um, uh, one time, this is the first time I had heard of this, uh, but you had talked about what is your identity, right? Mm-hmm. You remember back then? Yeah. Yeah. And you, and, and, and so in my daytimer, uh, one of your little quizzes for me was to write down who would I have to be to be to getting the results that I'd want to be. And I'd write out, a, I wrote out a whole paragraph of who that, who that Dr. Don would be. Right. And I, and I remember I had that folded up and I had it in my, my little, uh, my little day timer there for probably about eight or nine years, which is hilarious because you can go back and, and read it and you're like, Hey, that's right. <laughs> well, it's very funny, right? Because we were, and there was a couple other guys involved, at least one or two others on any given day that were part of that mastermind. And, but we were continually challenging each other to up our game. 
and you know, for listeners and you know, if you're listening to this podcast is, you know, it's important to understand that, you know, in the context of, you know, seemingly ordinary people achieving extraordinary results, there's, there's a component to it always, which is whether you're a chiropractor, real estate investor, retail owner, it doesn't matter what business you're in. It's always about the, 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 uh, there's always a large component of working on yourself, the personal professional development of it. And we did a lot of that back those days. Does the work ever stop for you? That was more on myself, I think. Yeah. (laughs) Because, because at the beginning, again, we talked a lot about tactics, especially we're talking about marketing. So we had all the different ideas. Um, one of the other great suggestions you had one time, you called my office and uh, you said, you know, what would be really nice is if you had an on hold message. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah. 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 And so I went and got a nice, we got this nice on hold message. When people are on hold, they have this nice, uh, nice music and, and, and description in the background. So those are cool things that you add in your business at the beginning. But once they're added, they're added, right? And yeah. then afterwards, the biggest growth is really going to be um, who we become or our mindset or who we hang around with or the books we read. And uh, I think that's how I keep working on myself. Now, you, interestingly enough, you actually introduced me to the work of Dr. John Martini, And John Martini was a chiropractor back in the day. And then he went on a whole gosh, he just built a world around universal law and understanding universal law. And he became an expert in that. And we've both done a lot of work with uh, John over the years. And that was a big part of your journey. I know working with Dr. Martini. what insights could you share about that part of your life? You know, and, and Martini's a real out there kind of guy for most people, I would say. What's your read yeah. on that? Yeah, no, I, I I remember the first time I went, and I was so glad for you guys because, um, you know, the, the greatest thing about having a mastermind is you have other guys to be around, and then and then after I went, I was so excited about it. And uh, but it, the whole idea is that there's always balance in the universe, and we a lot of times like we have a tendency to see the world in black and whites, and when we see the world in black and whites, it can be it can create more stress on our body, and and it can create more anxiety. And we become more emotional. And, and I always tease people now because I said, and, and Martini basically taught me about the 50 shades of gray. <laughs> right. And, and so I, I, you know, I, I always thought growing up, you know, uh, things should be a certain way. People should act a certain way. Everybody should get along. There's all these shoulds. Um, and, and that he basically deconstructed all of that, which was, which blew my mind. <laughs> Well, it really set you on a different path. I think I think the work that we did back in those days, I did, you know, I worked with, I did the Hoffman process, which was through the Hoffman Institute. Then we started working yeah. with John D. Martini. That was really, it really opened our eyes to a whole different world and a different view and different perspective of being, of doing, of how we viewed the world. And we were able to share a lot of those common insights and, and, and work them into our business. Now, you worked it into being a doctor in terms of a chiropractic health, and you guys have taken that on a whole different, you know, you take it to a whole different plane about how we look after our bodies chiropractically. So give me a little bit of, tell, tell me about the nervous system that you guys got into. You tapped into that whole mental aspect of it, physical aspect of it. Give me some background of how you and your wife, Brandy, now have taken that and what you used, all that work you did over the years, how are you using it now? How it unfolded for you? Yeah, um, you know, for people that aren't aware, chiropractic is is about taking the interference away from the nervous system because basically our brain and our spinal cord, 
that controls everything in our body. And, and every experience that we have in life is processed through our nervous system. If we have any interference, which we call subluxation, which would be any kind of misalignments, posture distortions, lack of movement in our spine, what it does is it decreases our the function of the nervous system, which makes it harder for us to adapt to our environment. And so there's kind of two components of it. One is the, the chiropractic component of it is where we're trying to get the spine moving properly to feed the brain so that the brain can stay nice and healthy. But then there's also the mindset component of it as well, because people don't really realize that how you think can actually affect your spine. And that's what I think is a really uh, a cool component. And that's one of the reasons I wrote the book, too. OK, so, I mean, that's a let's not step over that statement. So how people think can affect the spine. Go a little yeah. deeper into that, because that's a that's a pretty big statement from my perspective. <laughs> hundred percent. So, so basically, um, your nervous system can be in one of two states. It's, it's, it's can be in a stress state, which is a fight or flight state, or it can be in a rest and repair state. So it's called sympathetic or parasympathetic. And, and when we're in a fight or flight state, what it does is it prepares us for danger. So imagine if a grizzly bear is going to attack you, it's going to, um, well, I'm going to go right from the top down. So it actually shuts down your higher brain centers so that you become more reactive. So you use your, and your basically your reptilian brain so that you can respond really quick to your environment because you don't want to be thinking about things. You want to just respond quickly if you're being attacked by a bear. Your heart rate goes up, your blood pressure goes up, your breathing gets more shallow. It shuts off the blood supply to your digestive system and your digestive enzymes decrease and your immune system all ties down. And, and so what happens is a lot of people, um, are in this sympathetic dominant state. And the, the biggest difference, and I always say we're, we're just like animals. So we have to remember if you have a dog at home, it's been pent up all day in the house uh, and they come home and they're all excited. And then you take them out and they run around like a maniac for like 20 minutes. Uh, what happens to them? Like after you get back in the house, they're happy to see you. Yeah. And they, most of the time they fall asleep, right? Because they basically, <laughs> oh, basically, yes, that's true. Cause, yeah. Cause that's why exercise is so important too, because what happens is when we have a bunch of movement it helps to stimulate the brain to shut down the stress response and then it resets. It. Yeah. So from a walk, they, you know, when they're all excited, they come in and then they just crash. Totally. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Okay, and, got it. and the, and the difference between humans and an animal is that um, I would say we're highly evolved because we have the ability to turn on our stress response for no reason at all, or the old programming we've always had in our head. And we go back to before I went to Demartini people should be this way. People should always get along. I expect people to do this for me. Those all expectations that are unrealistic will fire the stress response, which then affect the body, which makes our flexors get dominant. And that can create forward head posture. And then that actually starts to bind up the spine. So we sometimes see people that, you know, when they, we look at posture, we can actually make some assumptions, not necessarily that they're correct, but we sometimes see people's posture that is really not great. They're, you know, they're forward leaning or their heads are, you know, kind of off square of their shoulders. Would that be an indication as a chiropractor? Would you look at that and say, you know, that person's carrying some really heavy weight as in the weight of the world, whether it be worry, stress, concern, is that the kind of result that can occur from that? A hundred percent. And, but it's also, we, we spin it back and it's like the chicken or the egg. Because sometimes um, a physical injury mm -hmm. can put you into a stoop posture. Sure. 
but but when your body's in a stew posture, it fires the stress response, which then reconfirms the posture, right? Or if someone's been really stressed out, then they usually don't sleep very well. They become flexor dominant. Their head goes forward. So it it's hard to say what started it, but it's a cascade of events that just keeps. And that's why a lot of people have that downward spiral. So this this goes back to, you know, what we think about comes about, and sometimes the come about is how it manifests itself physically. So based on what's going on in our lives, you know, it affects the spine, which then, you know, it's the old story of, you know, the hip bones connected to, or the foot bones connected to, it's like that whole connection of our, of our bodies physically. And it's a kinetic chain of events that happen physically. Would that be appropriate? Yeah. hundred, hundred percent. And, and I think they did it. They did this experiment where they took people and I was somewhere over in, a different country where you could actually do this. I don't think you can do it here, but they basically uh, put a, put a bunch of people in a neck brace, and they couldn't move their head for six weeks. And they did functional MRIs on their brain before and after. And after six weeks of no movement in their cervical spine, they already started to get decreased brain function. That just shows like how vitally important it is to have movement in our spine because we, we have these little things called proprioceptors, and these little receptors are in joints. So when you move. They, they stimulate your brain. And 80% of those receptors are in your spine. So that means that if you uh, do exercise, we want to kind of do exercise that moves our spine. And extremities, there's only about 20% of those proprioceptors in the extremities. So when we get our spine moving, it lights up our brain like a Christmas tree, which helps to shut off our stress response, which basically just keeps the brain and the frontal lobe nice and healthy. You know, it's interesting. We're talking about chiropractic. I literally went for adjustment a day, two days ago now, I think. I was getting some aches and pains that were really not, I could not explain them. They didn't make sense. I mean, I train and although I haven't been, I haven't been training recently as, as, as frequently as I normally do, there were aches and pains that were just not explainable. One in a knee glitch, one in a wrist. And anyways, I go for my chiropractic adjustment and really he does what he does and, and makes some minor adjustments nothing to do with my knee, nothing to do with my wrist. And, you know, two days later, I, I feel aches and pains just as my body kind of seems to be resyncing to what it is, but my knee's improving, my wrist is improving. That's just, you know, after a day and a half or two days of that chiropractic adjustment. So when we look at our health and when we look at, you know, as being business owners or A-type personalities, being really uber aware of how we think, how we look at our body, understanding what it takes to look after ourselves to maintain that energy, it really becomes a, a kind of a holistic approach to what we're doing to look after ourselves. So you in the world of being chiropractic are always looking at all aspects of the physical, but also as of the mental. hundred percent. And the, the, the ironic thing with business people, because I have a lot of patients that are business people that own very big successful businesses and, and the, the funny thing is, is at the beginning part, just like how we were, um, when you start a business, you're really, you're giving her. So you're, you're kind of burning the candle at both ends and you're kind of going a little bit out of balance because you, you got to do it to get that energy, to get that business off the ground. But there becomes a transition. Hopefully there's a transition where, where you can kind of get a little bit more back and looking after yourself. Because I see a lot of people who've been, who've been given her with businesses uh, males and females, and and when they start to fire that chronic stress response over a ten or fifteen year period, then they really start developing these chronic degenerative diseases, 
which I think out of the top 10 killers, seven of them are preventable from chronic stress. And, and I think it's vitally important because we all work hard, especially if you're in real estate and, you, and you're trying to get a great portfolio. So you have a great retirement. And if you destroy your whole health before you get to retirement, like what's the use? You, you don't want to run out of life or you want to run out of life before you run out of money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> too early. Well, you know, it's interesting too, that as we talk about this, so you as a doctor in chiropractic healthcare, is you actually are seeing the physical manifestation of the stress that anybody in business or or high, I guess, high stress careers, if you will, you really see the effects of that and what's showing up with them physically and some of the ailments that they have. And I'm I'm sure it's not all just aches and pains and joints. Um, I'm sure you've had to refer to specialists and other doctors as well. Well, and, and, and the interesting thing, and I'll just divide it up a bit because this is, this is very interesting for a lot of people to find out, is that chronic stress affects men and women a little bit differently. So, um, and, and this, was, this is hopefully for motivation for some people out there to, to change some of their health habits because uh, this helped me a lot. For men, when men are under chronic stress, what happens is they, their default is they become more feminine. Mm. And one of my mentors, he's a chiropractic neurologist out of, uh, out of Dallas, Texas. And he talked about, so when men are under chronic stress, usually they actually stop working out because they kind of, they withdraw a bit. And when men stop working out, and then we start to fill our body with the, with the stress hormones called cortisol, uh, we start to lose muscle mass and we start to lose testosterone. And when we lose testosterone, we start to get more feminine. So we get more, uh, breast, breast tissue, like we get fatty deposits in different areas of our body and we become more feminine. Women, on the other hand, when they've been under chronic stress, they actually go the opposite. They actually become more, they get more testosterone and they actually become more masculine. And so it's kind of interesting that if we don't look after ourselves, we kind of cross over the genders. And, uh, and once he told me like, this is, I went through a pretty stressful, um, life episode about like nine years ago. And, uh, and, and about three years after that, I really burnt my adrenal glands out. We were traveling a lot and in practice, and then I hurt my knee and then I wasn't working out. And, uh, and when his name's Dr. Michael Hall out of Dallas, Texas, he said, if you don't lift weights, you're going to turn into a woman basically. And, <laughs> and, and, and I have not missed working out and lifting weights, uh, since then, which is about six years ago. And it just, it makes a huge difference. And, and so I think hopefully Men, men is more physical though, because men, we, we need to lift some weights, get some muscle mass. Women still need to exercise, but they're also a little bit more social. So they, they need to have connection as well to help diffuse that stress response. So how we release stress is slightly different depending on the gender. You know, when we go back to the mental aspect of this, you know, there's a, one of my, you know, one of the phrases that I get grounded to often and any of my staff, I think my staff here at to nauseum, but in stressful situations because we are, we work in a stressful environment. We got deadlines that are crazy, of course, then, in, and that's in the rain side of it. But as business owners, we're in often in stressful situations or we find ourselves with lots of pressure. But ultimately the phrase that always comes to mind that I get grounded in is it's not the weight we carry that harms us. It's the way we carry the weight. And right. in that context, it's how we carry stress and how we carry situational kind of things that come up and, and how we look at them and, and how we view them and how we take them on, you know, mentally, emotionally. And that those are heavy weights that break our body down, although it's not 
a physical weight. It is literally the weight of the world in terms of emotional, mental uh, stress that we carry. And and it for you as a chiropractic doctor, you see the impact of that on the body. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think that's that's part of it is is one is how we see the world. Right. So if, if we're more black and white, we're going to experience more trauma when people don't do that or things don't go the way we think they should. Uh, but the second part is your body. Right. So when your body's in a, in a state of ease, we call it in chiropractic, a state of ease, which is that parasympathetic state. We're able to adapt to our environment better. I call it the gap. So when we're in good shape, we have a big gap. So that means like stress can come into our life and we can kind of flex and bend with it. But if we are already in a state of dyshyphenes, which just means we have too much tension in our physical body, we have a smaller gap. Um, we have a harder time to even adapt to emotional stress and physical stress. That's why most people, you know, they, you know, I'll have people come in and blew their low back out sneezing or they like were washing their hair in the shower. And they're, I'd say probably 80% of people who hurt themselves come in and go, I have no idea what happened because it just came out of the blue because stress is like dust in your house. It just accumulates over time. And sometimes you don't even really know where it came from. But it just, if you don't do some dusting, it just accumulates until one day it seems like nothing happened and just you got to flare up. This is such an interesting conversation. You know, I've been blessed to be very, very healthy, you know, for most of my life or all of my life, actually. And I think it's a lot of that has to do with my view of the world and the work that I've done over the years. Now, I know you've done a lot of work and, and people who are on that journey of personal and professional development can have a relatedness to it. But I want to, I, for you, it inspired you to actually write a book called The Underdog Curse. And I want to talk a little bit about the context of your book, The Underdog Curse, and give me some insights into what inspired you to write the book and, and even what is, what the heck is The Underdog Curse? <laughs> yeah, the people go, what is that? It's uh, I what is that? Happen, but yeah. uh, well, well, on one aspect, uh, like everybody loves an underdog. And so this goes back to the story of what I would always throw myself into a bigger ring with people who are playing better than me, right? Even in basketball. So this went back to the basketball days. And so I didn't know this at the time, but looking back, because again, the time that I was meeting up with you, there was a lot of self-reflection, right? Because we're saying, okay, how do I do things in the past? How am I thinking? Like, you know, you're reflecting on a lot of things. And so how it worked was in Grand Cash, I was the best player in Grand Cash and I had to get out of Grand Cash because I knew I wanted to be a better player. I went to Edmonton and then all of a sudden I wasn't the best player on the team. Um, I was probably like the fourth best player on the team, which was great. My roommate was an amazing player and I, I would play one on one with him all the time and I'd get my butt kicked all the time. But I just keep playing because I was the underdog. So if I lost the game, not a big deal. Right. Everyone loves the underdog. There's no stress. There's no pressure. It's all good. Mm. Then I went to Red Deer College. And when I went to Red Deer College now, so in Edmonton, I was like this country bumpkin that was this underdog that came from this little town that was in the mountains playing in the big city. And now in Red Deer, I was like this big city player and I had high expectations because they're like, holy, we're bringing this ringer in from the city to play on our team. Once I made the team as a rookie, we had a one-on-one -on -one tournament and I won the one-on-one -on -one tournament. And looking back on it now, Initially, I was so disappointed. I was like, I was actually furious. I was like, how can I be a rookie on this team and win the one-on-one -on -one tournament? Who am I going to look up to? <laughs> right? That's such an interesting thought process. But anyways, cool. Okay. Well, and, and, and I don't think I was, I don't think I was aware enough 
I don't think I was aware enough to do that. I probably blamed everyone else. I probably said, mm. how are we supposed to be a good team when I'm the best player on this team or something like that? Because sure. I, I wasn't aware then. And then I just, you know, did what some college players do is maybe party too much. And, and I just, I just didn't maximize the rest of my, my college career. So that was the first stage where I, looking back on my life, I realized that I actually feel more comfortable being an underdog. And then later on in business, uh, same thing when I was with you, we were, we were running all these tactics, you know, growing my practice, but then I just kept sabotaging it all the time. So I'd hit a certain ceiling and then I'd drop it back down again. And so uh, I think that's where I came up with the idea that I think I'm addicted to being an underdog. So as you, you know, kind of did the research on that, as you had that awareness in the context of the book, where did you take that? How did you break your underdog curse? Um, well, I, I, first of all, I, I, I noticed it in myself and then I, and it's kind of like a little bit of the stuff we said, we saw with Martini, where, um, where sometimes, and this is my past, I always wanted to be supported by everybody and I didn't want anyone to ever challenge me. And so I'd always try to calculate everything I was doing so that I would never be challenged, but I'd always look like the underdog. And then I would meet other people that would really frustrate me because they would pretend that they had everything together. And they pretended they were the favored and they weren't that good, but they, they didn't ever want to be perceived as being an underdog. So I kind of had it, I, I figured it out as a spectrum. So on one side of the spectrum, you're addicted to being an underdog. And on the other side of the spectrum, you you're adverse to being an underdog, which either, either way it, it slows down your growth process. And then I figured, Hey, what if you were an adaptable underdog, which means you're willing to try new things and that you're not very good at. But if you're really good at things, you're also okay with that so that you don't sabotage your success. Okay, that, that's getting a little deeper, but I, but I want to keep exploring that a little bit more. So, okay, so let's go back to you. So you have this realization that you are, in fact, being an underdog. You're, you're kind of comfortable living there, and yeah. you start to see where you're sabotaging yourself. Was there a moment in time where you, was it an epiphany, or was it just an evolution of what you were learning that you had the realization that you were playing underdog and, and actually kind of hiding out there. What, what was the shift for you? Well, I think the more, because it actually hits all areas of your life, right? So it hits your finances, it will hit your business and it'll hit your relationships. And I kind of went through a bunch of all that at the same time. So I, I, I was, I found out sabotaging my business. I threw a bunch of money into an investment and lost like $120,000. So financially, I took that hit. Uh, but again, it was like, it was kind of like, a, I was disempowering myself. So I said, Oh, I'll give my money to this person and they're going to look after it because I can't look after it myself. And then, um, I was also in practice with my sister and I found that I actually, you can have relationships where you always are the underdog in a relationship. So if you're trying, if I was, if I was trying to get my way with someone, I'd, I'd almost make them feel sorry for me first before I would ask them what I wanted. So that I always can try to control the outcome of every relationship I had in my life and also make sure everybody else got along. And that eventually blew up in my face. So I think all of those things blowing up in my face at the same time kind of really. And then, and then of course, in the book, one of my best friends got diagnosed with ALS and ended up dying of ALS and, uh, and to spend the last four years of his life with him as he lost function of everything. Like it just puts things in perspective and I'm like, Hey, life's too short to be like playing this game all the time. <laughs> so interesting that you have that realization, you know, it's, those are those crucible moments where 
or defining moments, you know, there's a place where you start to have a different, you know, your shift of your life or of life in general happens because of some event or, you know, what I call a crucible moment or a defining moment. Yours was, sounds like it was with a friend. So what was, what was the change that you made? So if you, if you say, you know, at some point you have the realization and whether you identified it as being an underdog or whatever that might be, what's the difference now between what you're doing, Don, in your business and, and life, as opposed to what it was back then? What, what shifted for you? Like, what does it actually, how does it show up? Well, and I'll tell you the moment because I just, you just brought it to my mind because I, I totally remember the moment right now where it really, I think it, all of that crystallized together. Um, I was on, at a wedding in Mexico. And at this time, uh, Rob, who a buddy of mine, he was basically in a chair now because ALS slowly rip, robs you of all your muscle movements. And, and then you're basically paralyzed. You can't even talk and you can only communicate through a computer using eye movements. And um, Rob texted me when I was in the airport coming back in Cabo. And we're just waiting in the airport. And he texts me saying, um, hey, Don, I want you to do my eulogy at my at my funeral. Hmm. And I initially and I and I and then I got mad again. <laughs> wow. And I'm like, I can't I can't do that. Like, why don't you get your brother to do that or somebody else to do that? And and at that point, he said, he said, dude, this is the only way you can you, as you talk to a buddy. You're like, dude, this isn't about you. Hmm. This this is what I want. And it took me probably about 20 minutes to just go through the fear in my brain because I'm like, I don't want to mess this up. It's his funeral. It's like, but it's all about me. And, and it was, it was such a cool way to look at things to go, Hey, what would, what, what do other people want or let's serve others and not so worry about what if I crash and burn, how am I going to look to everybody else? Wow. That's a big moment. That's like, Holy cow. It's not about me. Yeah. And it hit me like a ton of bricks because that for me is the ultimate, like the ultimate uncomfortableness is to be at a funeral and then have to talk about a loved or a loved one or a friend mm -hmm. in a, in a eulogy. Like to me, that would have been my biggest fear. And he just, he was like, dude, he, he basically forced me into it. So like, I always, I always thank Rob all the time because he, he taught me so many lessons about life, just going through the end of his. Yeah. What an experience and what a, a great deal of learning that would happen there. But it's interesting that, you know, as you're talking about realizing that it wasn't about you, it was about him, but as a doctor, how did that change your practice? Because did you approach patients differently in, in how you treated them? Because really as a doctor, it is about the patient. Yep. Did it actually, did it shift your, how you even approached your, your patients or your business uh, chiropractic business a hundred percent because when we really get down to what chiropractic is about is chiropractic is not about treating conditions but it's easy to play the role that you're going to treat a condition and you're going to be the hero because you you fix somebody right mm -hmm. lots, and, of, lots and of ego it, attached to that a hundred percent and even though i knew the philosophy because the philosophy of chiropractic is not about it's about we're trying to basically unleash the potential with inside of you like you're like a dirty light bulb with maybe some trauma on the outside and we want to clean that off so you can shine but we, we're not adding the shine you have the shine you're just you're just a little bit foggy right mm -hmm. um and, and i still had that ego in there because you know just subconsciously you, you love to do that and they're like oh you fixed me or oh, you made this so much better for me and i was i was working on rob and unfortunately i was part of the team that diagnosed him with als but he'd been he'd been a patient of mine for four years 
Uh, we became really good friends. He was under regular care. Uh, he had a really unhealthy lifestyle. And it was kind of interesting that four years before he got diagnosed, he knew things weren't weren't right. And he didn't wanted to change his life. So he stopped smoking, started doing a lot more exercise, started looking after himself. And so when he started getting this weird twitch in his hand, um, I was all over it because I'm like, well, we're going to fix that. Like, even though in my brain, I'm like, that's not that's not our philosophy. That's not what we do. But I, I wanted to. Plus, also, when it's someone who's close to you, that's why it's hard to be impartial to someone who you care about because you do want to fix them. And and I remember the day where I stopped adjusting him as much because when I was adjusting him, I was in my brain. I was trying to say, like, maybe this is going to help him, like to cure him. And I remember the day that I realized that he's he's going to die. And and he was over at his house and I just didn't come over as often to adjust him. And in the end, he gave me he gave me shit again where he said, hey, dude, I still need to get adjusted. Like, I know I'm not going to get I'm not going to be fixed. But when you adjust me, I function better. I breathe better. I'm more vital in my limitations of matter as I slowly degenerate. And that was a huge shift for me is that, you know, we we I'm there to maximize whatever your potential is. Everybody has a total different potential. And who am I to decide if this is going to this is going to fix them or not. And so that, and, and now we've created a program called the vitality shift for chiropractors where we're measuring, we're measuring function and we are measuring the stress response. And we're, we're working at keeping our patients at a high level of function, not treating conditions or symptoms. So when you look at, we at least agree then, and we know, and, and I think many people listening in will relate to the fact that that mental component, that stress, that how you emotionally, mentally carry things around can manifest itself physically. When you as a chiropractor, you know, go back to fixing, you know, it's like, okay, that's not the right kind of thought process as a chiropractor. It's not what you guys are built to do. But when you start to see that it isn't an injury, are you, how do you relate that as a chiropractor or anybody, even in your coaching to having people make the connection? Can you... Can you point out to people going, you know, this, your spine's out of whack or your shoulder's out of whack. And, and I know you can't explain it, but what's going on in your life? Do you do, are you as a chiropractor, are you actually doing some coaching around how that a men, a mental and emotional state is for a patient? A hundred percent, because we know what, we know what chronic stress does. We also, another cool thing is we also know the different hemispheres of your brain and your left brain is more your analytical brain. And if someone's in a stress response, they're more likely to be more in their left brain and they're going to be less in their right brain because the right brain is that creative brain where they're having fun. They're having connection with others. That's love, inspiration, all that kind of stuff. Now, the left brain controls the right body and then the right body, the right brain controls the left body. And it's funny. You just talked about a shoulder issue. I'll get a lot of times where I'll get people come in and they'll have a left shoulder issue and maybe a left hip flexor issue. And once you dig deeper into their history, you realize that they've had so much stress. And what happens is then that the right side of the brain is, 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 is decreased in its function. And the right side of the brain controls the left body. And when the left body is not getting stimulated from the brain, we become flexor dominant and it curls in. And a lot of times you get that left shoulder pain. So tiredness, not sleeping, not focusing, digestive issues, like all those things, we, we will be able to tie back to the uh, sympathetic dominance or firing that stress response. You know, it's interesting that, and I, and I think you're probably built the same way you and Brandy, but once again, I'm a very healthy guy. You know, the, we were 
we were joking the other day at the office because I actually had a cold, which was literally, I think the first cold I'd had in either four or five years. And the first thing that I think if I've got even a small injury, an ache, a pain, in this case, a cold, I always ask myself, what's going on for me? What am I not paying attention to? I always go to the mental, emotional aspect of it, how I'm viewing the world. Are, are you built the same way, Don? I, I get a sense that you are. Uh, yeah, 100%. 100%. Anytime anyone's sick, and well, again, uh, my streak's pretty good too. I'm not going to jinx it, but I have not missed a day of work um, in my whole career yeah. um, from being sick. And and I see people are sick all the time because not because I'm whatever amazing genes because I used to get sick all the time. But I just have learned how to tune in with myself, mm-hmm. and I knew how to, I know how to catch it, close that refractory period before it gets too much. But if any of my patients if they are they're sick, and I'll be like, so what have you been doing? They're like, oh no, uh, the kids brought home a germ from whatever, and I'm like, kids bring home germs all the time. Like what's different? Like that's not a big deal. Like if you just do a swab of your of your skin on your arm. Every bacteria and virus that causes every single cold and flu is on you all the time. Like it's, you can't get away from it. But when you're strong, I call it like your force, your, your, uh, your shields are up. Like in Star Trek days, your shields are up when you're looking after yourself. But if, if you dig down deeper, you can tell someone's not been getting enough sleep. They maybe stopped exercising. Something's going on for them and they're, they're extra stressed out. Like something is always going on with them as long as they don't have like some kind of autoimmune disorder. But the 90% of the people, there is something going on before they get sick. It's interesting. And I know that for some people, that's a big stretch. I mean, in the world I live in, it's not. The people that I, you know, surrounded by all realize, you know, the impact of stress and and our uh, mental, emotional ability to kind of stay healthy by, mm-hmm. you know, viewing the world in a great way and to really look and look after yourself that way. Because it is, you know, aside from the physical, you know, going for walks or training and hitting the gym on a regular basis, you know, ultimately the next component of our health is our mental and emotional health and, and the impact that ha- that has physically. But that's a stretch for some people. They'll always yeah. go to, well, I'm in this environment, every, all the people at the office are sick, the kids are sick, everybody's sick, I, you know, I'm bound to get a cold. I don't believe that for myself. Like, I, right. I, you know, I, I have no fear walking into a room full of people with colds thinking that I'm going to get a cold. Right. I always I tease my patients. I'm like, are you a healthy river? Or are you a scummy pond? Because <laughs> what kind of a question is that? That's funny. well. You see, this is to, this is the scratch. This is to change their state, right? This is to kind of like shock them a bit. Yeah. Scratch the record, as we say, because I always say mosquitoes are like uh, germs and bacteria. Ger- mosquitoes cannot reproduce in a healthy river. They can only reproduce in a hel- in a scummy pond. Hmm. So the the mosquitoes do not make the pond scummy. It was already scummy before. Or you can take a you can take a sandwich, you can cut it in half, and you put one half in the fridge and one half on the counter, and which one goes bad faster? So, interesting thought process. Now I want to go back a little bit into this world and this journey that we go on. And, and I've been on this journey for many years. I mean, I've been kind of that outlier. My wife and I have been for you know twenty five years or more. And yeah. when you go on the journey, you do doing the personal professional development, having these thoughts, and looking at and really digging into where we are emotionally, mentally, the underdog, being the underdog, mindset. I mean, this is really out there for some people. And when you go on this journey, it can kind of come out sideways. You know, I, I remember a time when I was doing the work, my family actually thought I was some, you know, part of some cult. And it's yep. like, what are you talking about? Because it just wasn't who I was back in my early years. And it certainly wasn't who they were, you know, very, 
you know, it just doesn't matter. But so for you, how was that for you growing up? I mean, you went off on a journey that was quite different than your family's. How did that affect your friendships or your family? What When you went on your journey of personal development and this way of thinking and being, was there a fallout that you can recognize? Yeah. Yeah, I think, and there, there was a, there was a fallout in my family because, you know, there's, when you live your life as a people pleaser, which that's basically, again, what the book's about, um, and for, and this is, I'm calling myself out, so I'm not calling out the people pleaser, I'm calling myself out. We're basically liars Mm. (laughs) and, and we live in a facade our whole life just so other people will accept us. And the thing is, is that when, when I started to move more into who I really was, Everyone said you changed, but I actually never changed. I actually became more of who I was because before I was just reflecting back whatever they wanted to see. And, and it was exhausting for me, but it was awesome for them. And in my book, I talk about every time you create a relationship, you create a subliminal agreement. And so how that relationship starts, you subliminally teach them how to treat you and you teach them how you're going to treat them. And, and I always laugh because um, I did the same thing. Like I came back from Demartini and I told all these people, all these, how all these horrible things that could happen to you could be good for you. And they basically looked at me like I had three heads. They're like, what? Right. <laughs> and so, so we have to realize, and, and it's funny because all, and again, a lot of my friends in personal development, as they evolve, they get mad at the people around them saying, people just aren't accepting me because I'm trying to step into my, my brilliance. And I said, we got to step back a second because we're the ones who changed the agreement. We're the ones who started off being fake or just telling people everything they wanted to hear. And we're the ones who decided that we wanted to step into our greatness or step into who we really are. Everyone else is like, you've changed, right? That's why they think that you joined a cult because they're like, Patrick, you've changed. Sure. You're not the same as you used to be, even though you're actually being who you actually want to be. It's interesting that, you know, so when we go through this, Don, I mean, think about it and you know, as you wrote the book, as you deal with people that are, you know, handling emotional stress, it becomes about integrity as well, but really defining who you are or realizing, you know, it's the, it's the old phrase of know thyself. And that's part of really any entrepreneur or anybody's, I don't want to just say entrepreneur, but anybody's discovery is to really understand themselves. And then the integrity conversation, because you really are learning about yourself and then being true to yourself. And that's when people say you've changed because you're actually coming out of that facade that you put on in, in for people. Is that, is that what I'm, I don't even know if I'm repeating it well or, or reiterating what you're saying, but is that your experience with it as well? Yeah. And I think, I think part of it too, is that if we learn how to come about it a little bit different way. So instead of um, you know, as we grow, and this is, I used this analogy before, is that I felt like as I was growing, I was going up a ladder. So I'd go one rung up the ladder and then I'd have to turn around and every single person I knew had to come up that same rung with me or else I wouldn't go to the next rung. Oh, got it. You were waiting for people to come with you. Yeah. Or like, and you're trying to convince them. Sure. And, and then that's when they think you're in a cult because now you're like, I'm so excited, but you have to do what I'm doing. Now, um, I learned this from Martini as well, because Martini said, um, you know, we always say like, how do you talk to other people when you have all this knowledge and people are just being crazy? He goes, I just don't give them advice unless they ask for it. In certain relationships, if it's a family or whatever, you could still be the same as you used to be in that temporary relationship. But if you're trying to change them, 
we can only really change ourselves and that becomes more exhausting. So I think that was the biggest thing I learned is that now when I, whenever I grow, I, I actually filter who I talk to better now um, because there's some people who that would be such a stretch that we wouldn't even start that conversation because I know they wouldn't even understand it. Well, you know, and, and we've, we've mentioned John Martini's work a lot, but we've both done a lot of work with a lot of people. But I, I think that, you know, you're talking about Tony Robbins before we got on the call. And I know lots of people have done Tony Robbins programs. It, it is a, a much about the same thing, which is being true to yourself, discovering who you are, and then being true to that. It isn't about changing others, but in our excitement, when we learn something new, we go, gosh, you know, we tell all of our friends and then yeah. get frustrated because they don't go on the same journey that we're on. Right. You know, at this point in my life, and I realized that by being true to myself, if I'm true to myself, then, and don't try and convince anybody of anything, ultimately what happens is that people will either fall away or they'll be attracted. I'll have new people come into my life or I won't, but ultimately it really is just about being true to myself. And then the people that are in my life are a reflection of who I'm being. I think that's the Gandhi quote is really good. Be the change you want to see in the world. I think that is a, that's an amazing quote because you then you become a leader and, and then the people will be drawn towards you who want to get more of that. And then you can spend more of your energy mentoring the people who want to know that rather than fighting the people that will never want to learn that ever in the first place. So in my businesses, you know, it was interesting. Um, I recently found out from one of my general managers that, you know, we now have in Edmonton about 66 full and part-time staff. And the realization is that we create a coaching environment that is about, because that's the environment we create. So in other words, the businesses that I operate are always about helping the team become the best that they can be. And I think that's, you know, common in business, but not everybody is coachable. So if you're, if you're not willing to be coached, so if you don't want to play that game, then you don't become a member of the team. Now, right. do you do you find that in your own place of business that it is a coaching environment? So in other words, you're attracting people that want to evolve as people, personally, professionally. Would that be the case in your own business, Don? Yeah, we we that's a requirement. Because if they don't, like it's funny because when we do our staff meetings, we have what's called procedural meetings, which are shorter ones, which we're just talking about the procedures. And then once a month, we do a three-hour seminar, which is about them. Because the, the cool thing is, is the cool thing about your business is all about you, but the bad thing about your business is all about you. And so we we know that our staff will be better staff, not because we've trained them so well on the mechanics, but because we help them become better people. And that's what we really love to focus on. When you wrote the book, The Underdog Curse, what was the, really the message that, was there a primary message that you wanted to get out in the book, Don, given you know, your history and as well as your work as a doctor, a chiropractic doctor, was there a kind of fundamental message that you wanted to get out to people? Yeah. And it really came from Rob is, is Rob lived his whole life as a people pleaser. Um, he, he was a tiler and then he managed a tile company here, uh, like for Western Canada for, um, just a big, big, uh, industrial tile area. And, uh, he would tile people's houses, he would move people, he would do everything, martyr himself out so that he would be liked or have friendship. And people just totally took advantage of him. And even at the beginning, um, we were always going through personal development and he'd be playing video games going, hey, no, I got lots of time. Like, because when he died, he was 45, right? So when he got diagnosed, he was 41. So he's like, I have lots of time, I'm good. And he did not. And I think 
when you live your life based on everyone else's expectations, sometimes we think we have like, oh, in the next 10 years, it's the when I, then I phenomenon that I'll just suck it up for another 10 years and then I'll do what I truly love to do. But what if that doesn't happen? <laughs> like, what if you get a chronic illness and you're going to be gone in a year? Like, you want to kind of live your life the way the way you hopefully want to. You don't want to be looking back on your life with regrets, right? And I just see tons of my uh, patients, especially the ones that don't come around or heal as quickly, are just living their life out of obligation. And they're already, and I know that if they don't change things, they are going to have regrets, regrets at the end of their life. And I think that's the key thing is not to have, not to have regrets. You see, you know, when you're talking about regrets and being true to yourself and not being a people pleaser, you know, as, as a business coach yourself and working with patients, do you find that you see people that are comparing themselves to others a lot and that that actually has an impact on them as well? Oh, a hundred percent. And I see this all, I see this all the time. Um, especially when people are setting goals because they'll set goals based on what they've seen other people hit for goals. And uh, I don't know, you've, you've probably heard this too, is the empty goals. Like the, the goals that you work your butt off and you finally hit the goal and then it just feels empty. Yeah. You're like, wasn't there a parade or anything? Or no. <laughs> but, but, but I think that's a sign that you're, you're probably doing a goal compared to someone else. It's not really a true goal for you. Oh, there you go. But I, you know, I don't know. That's a debatable one. I, you know, we've worked with athletes many, you know, for a lot of years. I remember working with, uh, you know, Stephanie and I were celebrating with, uh, some athletes that had just won a medal at a world competition. Yeah. And we were sitting like a couple hours after the com competition and, you know, had had a glass of champagne and, and they literally sat there and went, you know, like now what? It was like in that moment, the realization that, holy cow, we just won a, you know, or placed, you know, in a, in medal winning in a world competition. And it was like, now what? And right. it's, so it's, it's interesting the, the mindset that we have, cause we work so hard to focus on that goal. Then we get there and it's like, you say that, you know, the, 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 the earth didn't vibrate. We, you know, we got our medal and it's like, yeah, now what, you know, what's next? It was already on to what's next. And maybe that's just the, the aspect of the competitors that they were, the athletes that they were. Well, I think too, um, that's, that's a really good point because I think a lot of times we put so much emphasis on what it's going to feel like to achieve the goal that we actually don't spend enough time to enjoy the process because, because the process is where life is. The event of the goal is such a short period of time in your life. <laughs> well, that's the old phrase, right? It's not the goal. It's who you had to become to achieve the goal. You know, and, and I, I know that always sounds a little bit or can sound a bit cliche, but you know, the journey is the journey and it isn't the goal. I, th I always say it's never the goal the goal is who you had to become to achieve it. Right. Yeah. And I think it's just putting so much emphasis on what you think the feeling might be once you achieve the goal, that that's the disappointment, I think, <laughs> because you want to enjoy, try to enjoy the process. Cause again, life is about, is going to be a bunch, a lot more about the process than it is getting about the, the goal or the events that you achieve. So you and Brandy literally travel the world and doing seminars. Now you're talking to other chiropractors. I don't, or do you talk to general public as well, or just other chiropractors? Is that mainly your focus? 
when we travel the world, we we are traveling, talking to other chiropractors. I do a lot of corporate talks for big companies in Edmonton um, because, again, we just talked about stress. Like stress is like one of the leading causes of decreased productivity in businesses and sick days and all that kind of stuff. So in Edmonton, I do a lot of lay lectures to uh, to corporations and businesses to their employees. But yeah, when we're traveling the world, we're basically um, we're speaking to chiropractors. So you're seeing this to the degree, and you're so passionate about what you're actually teaching, you're, you're looking at the impact of stress in a work environment, and you're actually talking to corporations, in your case, about the impact of stress and creating a healthy environment so that they're more productive and the environment's more fun to work in and the culture's better. Is, is, am I hearing that? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And so do you start to see some results with that? Do you get to, you know, if you walk into one of the corporations and you're talking to 50 or 100 or 25 or whatever the number is of people... Do you, can you actually quantify the results that they experience if they do the work or after you've gone in and, and done the work with them? It's it's hard to say because, like I said, you'd have to kind of come back after a period of time. I kind of give them a framework mm-hmm. of what to work on. And I, and I have that in my book, too. I call it the kitchen sink theory of, of, of stress reduction. So it's about, um, you know, kind of analyzing what stressors are coming in your life, trying to decrease those and then trying to increase the stress releasers that are in your life. Because a lot of times people don't really know. You can't get rid of the stress. Sometimes stress is just going to be there. But I think it was just like how you said, like, what do we do with it? Like, if I have a horrible, stressful day, do I go home and then go run on the treadmill? Um, Or do I go and order pizza and drink beer because I feel bad about myself? Like, there's two different options we can do to stress. One's going to help us to get through the stress. And the other one is actually going to have it embed more in our body. So working out would just have it more embedded in your body, I'm assuming, because drinking beer and sitting on the couch seems to be <laughs> kidding, <laughs> kidding. Yeah, I know. I was like, and then watching murder shows. That's really good. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so, so then, so Brandy is, is become a, a real world-class speaker. She's traveling around talking to chiropractors. And I always look at, you know, we talk about chiropractors, but you're really talking to business owners. And, and yeah. so is she talking about, uh, setting up a, a business or a chiropractic business? What is she talking about in terms of uh, when she, when she's doing her lectures? What's the context of her lectures? Yeah, so hers are, she came from a nonprofit background where she was working with um, with with people who had either disabilities or women who were suffering from domestic violence. So she had social workers working for her. So she's really got human resources and super good at helping people to empower themselves about their life. And, and one of the things we find in the world is that a lot of people are not very empowered about their health. And so what she helps chiropractors and staff do is to help educate, help them to educate their patients to inspire them about improving their health as well. And especially vitality, because really our, our whole North America is so ingrained about treating conditions without f- figuring out what's causing it. And so we want to we want to step it back and, and and make them more aware because awareness is the number one thing to change. If we're not even aware, uh, it's hard for us to change. So she's really has great questions about kind of helping chiropractors do exactly what I was telling you is talk to your patients about their life and find out what have they been doing that might be causing this, which creates accumulated stress. So we look at the journey of an entrepreneur. You happen to be a doctor in it. Was there a biggest failure in your life, Don, that, you know, turned out to be a blessing in disguise that you would identify? Uh, I think it was probably um, when I was in practice with my sister. Um, I, uh, at that time in my life, I was still trying to get everyone to get on with everybody. 
And uh, sometimes when you have family dynamics and then you have a business on top of that, I kind of went above and beyond to try to hold that together. Like I was almost even like I was exaggerating what they said to each other um, <laughs> to, to make them like each other more. I was trying to get everybody to like each other. And I was I did it so well that it actually turned into like an atomic bomb. So so the funny thing is, if I wouldn't have done it, the separation still would have happened, but it would have happened probably earlier. And there wouldn't have been as much damage. But I think I was so good at people pleasing and trying to get people to please each other that it was like, um, it's kind of like, uh, you know, you, you're you're saying things are going to be okay when they're not going okay until it's like a, an airplane's losing altitude. And you're like, oh, it's not that bad. Or you're just telling the pilot, we're okay. Our altitude's not that bad. And then by the time, um, as they say, shit hits the fan, you're like at 10 feet off the ground and you're like, it's too hard. And then it went too far and you can't recover. So I, I think really uh, creating boundaries, being clear, being okay with others, people's opinion, being okay with other people who don't get on with each other. Um, I think that has been some of my biggest learnings, not so, to control so much. So the relationship with your sister and your friend, Rob, those were a couple of forks in the road that took you off on a different journey that turned out to be interesting forks in the road for you. Yeah, hundred percent. And and again, it life life's you know the challenge and the benefit. But the the cool thing is, I think that's what I learned from Demartini too, is that no matter whether you live your purpose or live true to yourself, you're still going to experience challenge and support. Or if you live your purpose, you're going to get challenge and support. So which one would you rather be? Because because if you're getting your challenge and support and you're living a fake life, that fires your stress response. It basically makes you sick. And it did make me sick. It burnt out my adrenals and it, and it did affect, it started to affect my health. Thank goodness I kind of, I caught it early enough to change it, to, to live more true to who my values are. But, um, but it's super important. And if you don't have your health, you don't have your business. So I always say in my book too, the nine steps to, to get through the underdog curse, the first one is to get your body strong again. Because it's hard to have a strong mind in a, with a weak body. So for you, how do you define success, Don? Uh, I think. I would define success in uh, keeping myself in a state where I'm I'm continually evolving, because success gets changed every couple of years for me. <laughs> so when I'm at a new state, uh, in a new state of my life, um, success means something different. So ten years ago, success is totally different than it is now. But I think success, and I call it parasympathetic power in my book, and and I, at this stage of my life. I, I want to, I want to just kind of create, I don't need to, I don't need to push the boundaries where I'm firing my stress response and losing my mind, but I, I want to kind of keep growing in a, in a nice consistent manner so that I'm always evolving and growing. I think the, the lack of success would be when we kind of plateau our growth or fire our stress response and kind of get stagnant. So how would you, for you, you know, if you look, if I, these are some questions I'd like to take you off, make your brain fire a little bit different. If you look back on your life now, what would you tell your 16 year old self today? Oh, I love this one. Uh, I think I'd tell him everything's going to be okay. Ah, it's that simple. Everything's going to be okay. So even if things don't go good, you're still going to be okay. Like I think subconsciously inside, I thought if things didn't go the way I tried to control them or I expected them, that like I was going to die or something. I don't know. I don't know what I thought, but I was so scared of that because when, when the worst does happen at the end of the day, you're still okay. 
Do you have a morning routine? Yeah. What's your day? How do you start your day so that you're setting yourself up for success for your day? Or how does, how do you look after yourself physically, emotionally, mentally? Do you have a routine around it? Yeah, I think, well, for me, my number one value is my wife, like Brandy and, and I were like, we're, we have such a, a great connection. And I think the first thing we do every morning is we have coffee for an hour. We just hang out for an hour with the dog and, uh, and just connect uh, on what's going on for the day, just kind of in a nice, gradual way, get ready for the day. And then I take our dog Lux for a walk. And that's since we've had him for the last five years, it's been that's been amazing for me. And actually, when I was writing the book, I came up with a lot of terms and a lot of ideas from the book, from doing that morning walk every morning. You know, you can do affirmations, be clear on the day, you know, get your mindset right for the day. And then, of course, I'm, I'm, I'm lifting weights four days a week. So I'm, I'm really making sure I keep that physical body active. And then, of course, we haven't had a chance to talk that much about diet, but diet is, is huge. And I've heard you on other podcasts talking about like with other entrepreneurs how how important it is to keep your diet clean and so i really try to have like four to five days of clean diet a week and then on the weekends i'll, I'll i'm kind of at my body weight where I, i'm happy with it so i can have some fun cheat days or i maybe call them reward days right. <laughs> instead of cheat days but um but just keeping the, the middle of the week clean so exercise let's go back to your weight are you a morning workout guy or you afternoon workout when is your you listen to your body well so for you when do you work out? Well, and this is a good point for people who are listening. If you've burnt your adrenal glands out and you're destroyed, working out early in the morning is not that great for you because you don't have the energy to do it. So when I first burnt out my adrenals, I, I started, I was like, hey, back in basketball days, I used to do like high-end cardio. So I did the insanity program in the mornings and I totally just destroyed the rest of my energy. So it's better to work out midday. And so mine, I like to work out probably anywhere between uh, 10 to 11 on, on my days off. So for clarity, what does burnout or blow out a, an adrenal gland mean? What does that even mean? Okay, so there's two different phases. You have adrenal fatigue and then you have adrenal exhaustion. And adrenal fatigue just means you've been under stress for a while and your adrenal glands are producing too much cortisol. So it's kind of like a short-term stress response, which would be maybe a bad week or a bad month. When you get into adrenal exhaustion, that means things have not been good for you for probably six months to a year. And now your adrenal glands have been having to make cortisol so much that they actually can't make it anymore. And then they don't work anymore. And then it turns off your thyroid and then it starts to affect your hormones. So if someone has been under chronic stress for a really long time, like a year or so, it takes, they, they just, when they get back into their activity, they just have to go slow because their adrenals are tapped. They have no, no juice left. So how do you know if your adrenals are blown? Well, one, you can just, you can probably just assume from their case history by just listening to how long they've been stressed. But if you really want to be specific, you can do a cortisol salivary test. And what it does is just, you have these little uh, test tubes and you just basically spit into these test tubes um, before, first thing when you get up in the morning, um, before lunch, before supper, and before you go to bed. And what it does is it creates a cortisol curve and it tells you what, what, what your cortisol levels at certain times of the day are. And if you're burnt out, you basically don't have any, it's like a flat line. <laughs> and how would you self-diagnose? So if somebody's wondering themselves, if, you know, gosh, are, are my adrenals shot? How would they know? Um, well, you can go to a naturopath or some chiropractors can also order the salivary cortisol. I'd say probably naturopath would be probably one of the best ones to go, to go, um, to, if, if you're really analytical and want to know for sure, but if, 
if you know that you've been stressed out for a really long time, you can probably assume that you are. <laughs> okay, great. So that's, uh, yeah, I'm wondering about, is there, you know, for listeners, is there a symptom that would kind of get them? Well, it, it would be a group of symptoms, right? So it would be, it would be the combination of chronic stress. So we'd have fuzzy thinking. We would have hard time sleeping. We would have uh, weight gain. We would have digestive issues. You'd initially have um, immune issues where you'd get sick more often. And then if the stress response stays for multiple years, then what it does is it actually makes your immune system hypervigilant. And then you get an autoimmune disorder. So like that could be like lupus or rheumatoid arthritis or any of those autoimmune disorders. So it actually makes your immune system then go hyperactive and just start to attack everything. Cool. I think that's just important for people to bring the realization to or their awareness to their physical health and and if they are under stress and what that represents. Because I think some of the, you know, the downward spiral physically is often really subtle. And it's not apparent like an overnight kind of thing. It's it's a downward spiral. And then all of a sudden you wake up one morning and your body's aching and you're sore or you're sick or whatever's going on. But it really that journey could have started six, eight, ten months ago. Yeah, well, and it's funny. I have I have patients all the time, and we we do reevaluations every twelve visits where we can do all these objective findings, including including heart rate variability is a really new test that we do, where you put this fing your finger in this little machine, it actually measures your stress response and measures your reserves. Right. So, if you've been stressed for a long time, your reserves drop, which means you don't have that much energy. But um, a lot of people, I'll be on the first reevaluation and say they they uh, gave themselves a four out of ten for discomfort or how well how healthy do you think. Um, and then after the first month of care, they feel so much better and not, I'm not talking symptoms wise. They just feel better. Like their body feels more efficient, kind of like the WD 40 is moving and they go, actually, I think I would measure myself a four out of 10. Cause I didn't even know that I had the possibility to function at this level because it, it happened so slow. So we talk about diet now as a doctor, I'm sure that you realize and, or that you see the impact of sugar. We know that's a big one and there's sugar and everything. And oh my gosh, you know, it's like, it's such a huge issue in society these days. Um, yeah. but, but from a diet and where you take your diet, do you have a specific diet that you follow in terms of low carb, high protein? Are you like, where do you go with, with your diet? I just keep it pretty simple. I'm, I'm my, uh, my proteins that I have, I, I still have them, but I try to eat more clean proteins, mm -hmm. right? So you'd be talking about the fish or the chickens or the turkeys. Um, I'd still have some some beef, but I try to not go too crazy on the beef. My carbohydrates, I try to keep them complex carbohydrates. So it would be like brown rice, quinoa, or um, like sweet potato or something like that to keep to, for that carb. And then just vegetables, right? You just want to keep those, those vegetables going. And so my morning... I always have, uh, I'll have egg whites with uh, oatmeal in the morning with um, a shake with greens because I like to have the, the greens with kale and a vegan protein powder just to kind of get the day going. If you've been under a lot of stress, your body does need a little bit of protein right when you wake up because that helps to, to help out with your cortisol levels. So usually before I walk the dog in the morning, I'll just have a, a, a vegan protein shake. And then just the rest of the meals, I just try to keep it clean. The protein, yep. the carbohydrate the vegetable. Cool. You know, Don, this show has been kind of all over the map with conversation because so much that I wanted to talk about and, you know, from your book to getting caught up with where you're at, to your journey as a chiropractor, to the work that you're doing. And I mean, we never touched on a whole bunch of things in any kind of depth. And, you know, as we're kind of 
winding down the show and running out of time, I, I think that, you know, in the future, we're going to, we're going to have more conversation, but I want to get really specific because as much as we've jumped around, I think there's been a lot of really great insights that we've shared with listeners and the impact of our mental and emotional state, how it affects us physically and maybe some of the signs to look for in terms of that, because once again, you know, as you've stated as a chiropractor, you see all the time the physical manifest manifestation of stress, yeah. that mental component of it. You're a successful entrepreneur. You're growing your business. You and Brandy are in, you know, you've got a wonderful support mechanism in your wife and vice versa. And that I see often with entrepreneurs, that significant other is always uh, seems to be an important part of, you know, taking businesses to the next level. So, so much to cover, so much covered, but I'm really, really happy to catch up. So as we wind down, I'd like to do some rapid fire questions for you. All right. For all my guests, you ready? I'm ready. What's your favorite swear word? <laughs> uh, favorite swear word? Oh my, I, I think it might have to be the, uh, I think the F-U-C-K word. You're, you're is... an F-bomber, so you, you can say it on the show. Well, we have guests all the time. First thing, yeah, fuck. Okay, got it. Okay, but but I like it. I like it in a like an explanation way, not like in every second. I, I like it just to like to, to make the point. I do like it because it's kind of like a shocker, but I don't like it like all like some emphasis. Got it. Yeah, I'm yeah. I'm on that page. What profession other than being a chiropractor would you have liked to attempt? And you can't say basketball either. Uh what would I like to have done? Well, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a truck driver or a spaceship driver. So. <laughs> So maybe it'd be a spaceship driver, astronaut. Hey, listen, <laughs> listen. You know, with uh, with uh, you know technology the way it is, that might just be a, a possibility. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> if uh, if heaven were to exist, not to debate whether it is or not, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the gates? You did a good job. On a scale of one to ten, how weird are you? How weird am I? Oh, I'm pretty probably eight. Or really, nine. you think you're that high? Yeah. Well, I, I think so, but maybe my people pleaser tendencies, I don't bring it totally across, so I hide it from everybody. <laughs> <laughs> what do you what are you just not very good at? Oh, there's lots of things I'm not very good at. I'm not very good at um I'm not very good at writing. Huh? Which is hilarious. That's why I needed help with my book, but I'm not very good at writing. Your room, your desk, or your car. What do you clean first? My room, my desk my car it would definitely be my room first because i'll get killed by brandy ah. it will it'll definitely be my office next because it's downstairs and she, brandy will kill me if she, if she can see it and then it'll be my car last because she's hardly ever <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> so you can tell my default is a little bit messy <laughs> what's your uh what's your, you got a favorite tune um yeah I, I can't remember. it's it's this new uh it's like a rap song um i think it's called till the day i die and i think it's called toby mac and I just heard it at this seminar, and, and I think it's a little bit of religious uh, rap, but it had a really cool beat, and I just heard it a couple of weeks ago. Or no, it was in September I heard it. And uh, so if you look it up on there, it's kind of it's kind of cool. So I've been listening to it every time working out. That's my new favorite song. Cool. Do you have a favorite movie? Yes. I love uh, Transformers. <laughs> okay. That's awesome. Uh, that, <laughs> that totally did not expect that from you, Dr. Don. So that's, but that's great. Um, we never even talked about the power of gratitude on your health, but what are you grateful for? 
yeah, I'm super grateful for my wife. We didn't get to talk about her enough because really none of this even would have started if I wouldn't have brought her in my practice because I, I, I needed so much help in my practice because, you know, I, I loved being a chiropractor, but I was horrible at, at managing people and hiring staff. And, and she came in and, and she believed in me more than I believed in myself. So I'm, I'm totally massively grateful for my wife. Gosh, you know, I'm grateful for my wife too. Thanks for bringing that back to my attention. I am so grateful for my wife. She's an amazing, amazing woman who is just, gosh, I'd achieve nothing without her. And I'm very serious. I would about be like, that. I would have nothing to talk about. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> Except my basketball days. <laughs> uh, I think we're on the same page. I'm always grateful for having a guest on the show. And I'm really grateful for uh, having you in my life and having the friendship that we've had over the years. And although we've lost uh, contact, I'm very grateful that this was a great vehicle for us to uh, reconnect. And uh, I'm sure we'll... Uh, be talking to each other again in the near future, Don. So I want to say thank you. Uh, I'm just going to say one thing before you Please. Quote, uh, I just want, want to thank you too, because um, you might not remember this, but you took me for sushi for the first time I'd ever had sushi. <laughs> and you sh and you showed me how to use chopsticks. I'm still not very good at them. The first person who ever showed me how to use chopsticks was you. And I was on 109th yeah. uh, on that little, that, you remember that little uh, sure. sushi place? Sure, sure. Yeah. So I want to thank you for being in my life at that time and really being supported being on a mastermind so and thanks for doing this podcast it's amazing thanks pal i appreciate it we'll talk again soon ladies and gentlemen thank you for listening if you found value in the podcast please take the time to rate and review and share with others share with your friends as it is my goal to always improve and to provide the highest value for you the listener if you have any comments, suggestions, or questions you'd like answered, please email me at ceo at raincanada.com. That's ceo at reincanada.com. I look forward to hearing from you. And until next time, Patrick out.